So John 1, 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, who be- to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, uh, not of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, uh, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning Him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. Happy Christmas. God is with us. Um, My name's Ali, and I'm one of the ministers here at St. Jude's in Parkville. Um, And we're going to be talking about Christmas, obviously. Christmas can bring about a strange mix of emotions, I think. We can put so much pressure and expectations on this day to be the best day of the year. We count down to the day... And kids, you might have found it hard to get to sleep last night because you were so excited. Adults, you might have found it hard getting to sleep last night because you had so much to do, (laughs) me included. Um, Hopefully there's an afternoon nap later on today for for all of us. Um, There's pressure to get the presents right, that uh, people will love them. There's pressure to get the food just right. There can be pressure on relationships. There can be competing interests complicated family dynamics and strained relationships. If you don't see your extended family regularly, there can be pressure on the once-a-year get-together. I don't know if that's uh, your situation, but it is for many. Do you, does that bring out insecurities for you at all? Do you feel like you need to measure up or compare yourself with others' successes? Do you feel like you need to justify yourself at all? It can be lovely catching up with everybody, but it can also be hard to kind of to sum up your life and what's happened to you this year. Where do you start, particularly if it's been a tough year? 
um, at my family get-together recently, there was someone with a new baby, there was someone who had just bought a new house, uh, someone who'd just come back from an exciting overseas holiday, someone who just completed a marathon. Um, <laughs> they're a very impressive lot. So I wonder if you find yourself sort of comparing and assessing to other people and assessing your value over Christmas. Perhaps you might feel taken for granted. Perhaps you feel unloved this morning. Perhaps you'll be seeing some people today who are hard to love. Perhaps you feel guilty that you don't love others as you know you should. Well, this morning we're looking at what a relationship with God is like from John chapter 1. And I just want to share three, three quick points this morning. Number one, God didn't need us. Number two, we didn't need him. Uh, sorry, we didn't want him. And number three, God wants to be close to us. So that's where we're heading this morning. So firstly... God didn't need us. Now, this might sound a little harsh, but have you thought about how things were like before God created the world? And you might not agree with that belief, and that's okay. If not, I'll just ask you to suspend your judgment for a moment as we examine the point that John wants to make in this passage about pre-creation. So from verses 1 to 5, John begins his gospel with, "...in the beginning." In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In the beginning. When we read those words, it's meant to remind us of the opening of the Bible. The very first words in the Bible, from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But when John's talking about the beginning, his beginning is before that beginning. He wants us to think about before the world was made, before Genesis 1, which is kind of impossible for us to do, let's be honest. It's a bit like how my youngest was little and she'd look fo at photos of her older siblings when they were babies and she would ask, where am I? And she couldn't imagine life before her. I'm trying to explain and it just never made sense. We can't imagine a time before time, but in eternity past, before the world was created, we are told that an uncreated being existed, God. God existed. And I know this is a lot to kind of wrap our heads around this morning, especially before Christmas lunch, but stay with me. John fills this out a little bit more about who God is. So he says, in the beginning there was the Word... He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and, li and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So the word was there in the beginning with God. And this tells us a couple of things about Jesus. Jesus is, um, John calls him the Word, which is a, it's a helpful way to explain uh, the Son of God before creation, but we, we don't really have time to get into that. But we find out that the Word was with God, so he is distinct from God the Father. 
The word is God at work in the Old Testament, creating and acting and saving. So we see that he's distinct from the Father. But we also see that the word was God. That means that he's of the same stuff as God. He was not created, but he is fully and completely and utterly God. So in the beginning, there was only God. But John explains that God is both God the Father and God the Word. And of course, from other passages, we also see God the Holy Spirit. The Trinity, three persons, one God. And through him, all things were made, and in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. You know, one of the things that I find really interesting about Christianity is the claim that God is love. Because without the Trinity, without that relational aspect of the Trinity, we can't claim that. It's the only world faith that can affirm that God is loving at his very core. Because God, God can't be extremely loving if he was on his own, right? Love has to be expressed towards another. And so in eternity past, there is a mutually self-giving dance of love and interaction between the three persons of the Godhead. If you can imagine that, God is love and he expresses that love between the persons of the Trinity for all eternity. And there's another implication of this as well, and that is that God doesn't need us. God doesn't need us. I think sometimes we think of God as being lonely, and that's why he made human beings, that he's a bit needy, he's a bit like an old grandfather who's, you know, sitting by his phone, he's checking the mailbox, he's, he hasn't heard from his family, and he's longing to see them at Christmas time. But that is not the picture that we get of God in the Bible. God was quite happy. God didn't have any lack, he didn't have any void in his life. He had and, and has a mutually satisfying and loving relationship between the members of the Godhead, each receiving love and each giving love as in any good and true relationship. God doesn't need us. God possesses the deepest, most perfect relationship that we can't even fathom. Within the Trinity, God's love is stronger than the most beautiful marriage the most passionate love story, the loyalist friendship, the deepest bond of kin. He didn't make us because he was lonely. God is the definition of love, of life, of light, and it just spills out of him. He can't help but share it. Not because he's needy, but the opposite, because he doesn't need. He's so rich and generous and that's his second nature. So God made the world out of love and because of his love, not because he needed us. That's the first point. It's out of that love, out of that life, out of that light that God made the world. And you'd think that we'd think that that was fantastic, wouldn't you? God has gifted us with this wonderful world, with life. And just like a kid on Christmas morning opening their gift... Don't they just jump into their parents' arms and want to thank them and tell them how much they love them, don't they? Sometimes. <laughs> well, what does our passage say next? 
verses 9 to 11. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. You might feel a bit like that this morning. Can we just hurry up and get the God stuff over and done with so that we can get to the good stuff? Can we get to the presents and the fun and the food and the playing? I've got a bit of a meme here to <laughs> that kind of matches that. <laughs> like, remember me? It's my birthday. <laughs> if you've been coming to church for a long time, it too, it's easy to kind of tune out. You kind of know the story so well that it, it doesn't make any impact on your heart. Or you might feel so distracted by all the preparations and the cooking and the shopping, the costs. Jesus becomes relegated to the side. Or you could just feel overwhelmed by the state of the world as it is at the moment with all the suffering and violence. And the world can feel so dark, so overwhelmingly bleak. Well, we live in a world that doesn't recognize or receive God's light. A world where our relationship with God has unraveled and everything else has fragmented and been corroded. Every relationship, all of creation is in groaning from the after effects of sin. As 1 Timothy uh, says in chapter 6, God dwells in unapproachable light. And in 1 John 1.5, we read, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. When you stand before the sun and you, you look down, you see your shadow. The brighter the light, the clearer our shadow is. When we stand before a holy, light-filled God, not just another human being like us with all our same composite of sometimes good intentions but a lot of murkiness, but when we stand in front of a perfect, holy, singly good and righteous God in all his majesty and brilliance, our darkness is that much more obvious and inescapable. We can't conceal it. We're left exposed. All our impurities are on display. It's a bit like scientists. They shine fluorescent lights on water to detect contamination and the impurities in the water. As God's light shines on us, we scurry into the shadows. John 3.19 says it like this. It says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. You see, instinctively, we know that God is light and that we don't want to be exposed. And we carry a deep sense of shame that we are unacceptable to God. And we love the darkness because it hides us and conceals our failures and our feelings of inadequacy. But how does God respond to this? How does God respond? We expect God to respond in saying something like this. I am the Holy One. 
you are unacceptable and, and you've rejected me, prepare to meet my punishment. We expect something like that, don't we? But what does he say? Well, in Hosea chapter 11, he says, For I am God and not a man, the holy one in your midst. I will not come in wrath. In Lamentations 3.33, he says, For God does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. In Isaiah chapter 28, verse 21, it says, The Lord will rise up as he did at Mount Perizim. He will rouse himself in the valley of Gibeon to do his work, his strange work, and perform his task, his alien task. That task is judgment. It is God's very nature, his light-filled, holy, loving nature that means that he will not respond as we would, but he responds with grace. God does judge, but he does it without pleasure. It is a strange work. It's like playing a sport or doing something with your non-dominant hand or foot. It feels awkward. If you're a right-hander like me and you try and write with the left hand, it feels really weird. Or it's like speaking another language than the one that you grew up speaking and knowing. You can do it, but you've kind of got to concentrate a lot more. Judgment is not God's natural language. Judgment is not God's natural language. Mercy is. Mercy just rolls off his tongue effortlessly. Mercy is natural to God. It is God's heart. He is slow to anger, but abounding in steadfast love. Now, kids, if you've ever made a Milo, like my kids make Milo, you know what I'm talking about, okay? <laughs> when it says to put in a teaspoon, a tablespoon, or a yeah, heap teaspoon, this is what my kids do. God's love is like heap teaspoons of Milo. It is unrestrained. It's huge. God's love for you is lavish like this. And not just Jesus, but God, three persons, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All of God feels exactly the same. God just loves being merciful to you. It's like those huge spoons of Milo. God is naturally merciful. And that brings us to the final point, that God wants to be close to us. I wonder how you would feel if someone rejected you like the way that we did to God. There is nothing more painful than the sting of unrequited love, of having someone close to you betray you and reject you. It pierces us in a way that is overwhelming. And I think that God would not be unreasonable to turn his back on us. He could put the pressure on us to prove that we're worth a second chance, to justify ourselves. If Christmas has become that for you, if it means that you have to look within yourself to somehow be enough, well, that's just exhausting as well as futile. Looking within ourselves is exhausting. Instead, we need to look out. We need to look to the light. What does our passage say? 
from verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only God, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. God willingly chose solidarity with the very ones who rejected him. God doesn't wait for us to act. God doesn't only meet us halfway. God doesn't put pressure on us to prove ourselves. He comes down. He comes down into the filth and the mess and the confusion. He comes down right into the heart of darkness, right into a scandalous birth, into a life as a poor refugee, as a man who is not even welcome in his own homeland, who was betrayed by those closest to him, who was stripped and spat on and hung up for all to mock as he slowly died. Jesus went to the darkest place for us. In this Rembrandt print, The Three Crosses, we see darkness everywhere and confusion. There are soldiers crossing on horseback, there's, there's people wailing, there's people mocking, there's confusion. It's crowded and the sun has darkened as the light of the world is snuffed out in death. Writer Ed Welsh said this, There is no dark corner in human experience where Christ has not gone, both on his way to the cross and on his way to finding you. Jesus is the tangible embodiment of God. God assumes human flesh. He knows us from the inside out. As Thomas Goodwin says, Christ is love covered over in flesh. Jesus is God in the flesh. He gets us. He gets us because he became one of us. And not only that, if that weren't enough, he went to the darkest place for us so that we could no longer be in darkness ourselves. 1 Peter 2.9 puts it like this. God has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is God's affection for us. The union and the intimacy that has always existed in that triune God. God wants to share with you. And that's why he draws near as we celebrate at Christmas. God is Emmanuel, God with us. So kids and teens and adults, everyone, please know that there is no love greater than the love that God has for you. He left heaven to draw near to you. The King of Light entered into our darkness to bring you into his light. 
He comes and lives with us. God draws near. Jesus is God's embodied answer to all our pain, to our suffering, our loneliness, our grief and our sin. God wants to be close to us. After everything we've done, everything we still do, God wants to be close to us and draw near. So let's look to his light and draw near to God this Christmas.